Is the mic on? Episode 88, What's Wrong with Orny Adams? My guest today is Adam Carolla. It was just coffee. And now we fucking upped our coffee game, right? Everything's like, oh, it's uh, some Somalia, Sumatra, and whatever, the fucking African roast, and it's a deep dark, and it's a French roast, and it's got the uh, tall grande thing with the uh, light foam. Then everyone's got their own fucking take on coffee. They can't just order coffee anymore. Starbucks should have two lines. It should have one line that just says, normal people who want fucking coffee. And then the other one should be like, prima donna douchebags who don't think other people were born. It's great. Who don't think other people want to get to work. That's great. That's- it's always weird because I ne- that's that's not a bit. That's just someone shouting out coffee at some show great. four years ago. And then, so I listened to it and I'm like, I wonder what I'm going to say. Yeah, it's on your YouTube channel. It is. Yeah. And so, I, but what I like about it and what makes a bit great to me is when there's an observation and then resolution. So yeah. observation, you say something funny, then resolution. And the resolution is we need two lines. Oh, Absolutely need two lines like i and also yeah so it's funny because it's not a bit it's just somebody shouting something out but it turns into a bit but i don't do i've never repeated that but but what i'm saying is is you get behind the dude who's making the run for everyone in his office and every chick's got her own take on her own drink and right. you pull in the line and you go oh there's just one dude in front of me this is going to be easy right, right. but he's got 45 drink orders right. to get through yes we need an express line yeah in the in the old days it was all written on a piece of paper so you go oh shit the guy in front of me has a piece right, of paper right. now it's on the phone it's on his phone and you right. can't so you used to be able to look over their shoulder and, and say oh there's 10 yeah where are we in the list yeah i'm behind santa claus yeah and he's yeah. got a naughty and nice list yeah. and it's for everyone in the office yes i agree we need for all things sort of normal like i i, I haven't been in a million years but you're pull up to an ATM like back in the day and you're behind somebody and you're getting into like minute number eight yeah. and you're like, what the, are they opening an offshore account? Right. Like you get $40 and then you fucking leave. Right. What, what, are you, situation. what, what yeah. is going on up there right. that I don't know about? I thought you give the card, you get $60 <laughs> and you leave. It's a minute and 18 seconds. What we're on minute well, 40 with you. And how many things can you do at an ATM? It's very limited, right? I, you can deposit a yeah, check or two. I have two. no idea. You I, can... I, I, I've done this. You ever do this? First off, it happens at the airport all the all okay. the time. Yeah. You you go in and you're like, I just I'm going to check this bag and I'm going to walk to the terminal. Yep. And there's somebody in front of you, and at some point they're on minute 21, and uh-huh. you're like, I don't know what's going on with this person, uh-huh. but they need to be pulled out. Do you ever leapfrog? It's a bold move when somebody is next to push it through the tunnel and they're taking too much time, like they didn't preemptively move stuff around. I'm, the talking, about che- I'm talking about before security. Okay. I'm talking about they're checking in. Yes. And something is amiss. Right. Your, your interaction is going to be simple. Hand them the bag, yeah. get the tag, show them your ID, turn around and leave. Right. They're on minute 19. Yeah. So something is going on. Lost luggage. Yeah. Yeah. A, uh, we got a home alone situation. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on. But what I'm saying is, is once you get to 15 minutes in, 
to a what should be a 90-second interaction. Right. You need to step out. Mm-hmm. You need to step. It's the the guy in front of you who's arguing with the guy at the parking garage because right. he lost his ticket right. and he doesn't pull over. Right. And this, move over. Right. With the regular people just want a coffee, just want to check a bag. <laughs> yeah. Just at the ATM, we have a 90-second interaction here. You're on minute 13. Pull it over. Right. And right. and whoever's manning the desk or the kiosk or the luggage or whatever, they need to just say the person who's having a lot of difficulty step just literally step over here right. for a minute because we have regular people that know how know the system and know how to do it you know and, the people yeah. you know what the other one drives me insane but there also should be sort of a priority for when your plane is taken off this person that's there for 20 minutes right. there's there's no rush they the, missed their connection and they're going right. to get an next plane in 6 hours let's get these other people through the worst is you wait in line and you're like at the UPS store, the hardware store, like whatever the store, and you're doing your thing. You you finally make it up to the front, and you're like, uh, yeah, I need these circuit breakers, or I need to send this package, and the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And the person picks up the phone. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Let me check on poster tubes. Let's see if we have those in stock. And, they put, and then the guy walked, it's like, yeah. that person just called. That person is in their right. bathrobe. Right. That person is undressed at home. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. I came here. Right. Right. I waited right. in line yep. and you just yep. picked up the yep. phone and now you're going to do this guy's bidding. But this also happens if you take a place like a Home Depot. Sometimes I have somebody working with me trying to help me and then somebody interrupts with what they think is a quick question. Mm. Hey, just quickly, where are the where are the lug the something? I don't know. Lug the nuts at lug a nuts. Home Depot. Get the <laughs> I stopped myself. Where's the spackle? I finished yourself. Where's the spackle? Okay. Yeah, where's the spackle? something that could be there. And this person now, no, nobody that works at these Home Depot and Lowe's knows anything about construction. Suddenly I know more than them. Oh my God. And so it's it's 16-year-olds who look on their iPhone where where the item is. And so now this person, so I have to say, excuse me, but this person's helping me. Yeah. Wait your turn. Oh, uh, listen, I go into Home Depots. I've been, I've logged 10,000 hours in a Home Depot I, I, over, over my life. Of course. Easily. And I do a lot of like where I'll go like, uh, wh- uh, what aisle are your joist hangers in? Or what aisle are your Tico clips in? Or what aisles your Simpson straps? Lug lug nuts. Nuts. Yeah, they carry lug nuts now. They do. They yeah. actually have a small automotive Why section. Not? Yeah. <laughs> they, they have home cleaning supplies the, those now. Those guys will go like, I don't think we have joist hangers. I'll go, you have them. Yeah. I'm asking what aisle. And right. they're like, I don't. And I go, fuck it, I'll go find it. And right. then I go find the, the joist hangers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't care. Like I went to customer service because I needed fertilizer. I've I've uh, some sago palms that aren't doing well. Mm. So the the fertilizer has always been in the outdoor section in this corner. Mm. It's now moved. So first I go up and I interrupt three kids. I think they're on TikTok. Right, right. And I've now interrupted them not doing their job. You and know, they yeah. have no clue nor do they care to help me. Nobody comes from behind the counter and says, let me show you. They don't call anybody. They could care less. They just say it's out there. Riddle me this, Orny. Sure. I'm endlessly fascinated by this. As you, as you know, I've just uh, purchased a new automobile. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking around at different cars and I went to a Genesis dealer and a young woman is working there, you know, okay. 23, 26, attractive. Mm-hmm. And I come walking in and I say, uh, 
I'm looking for the all-electric uh, SUV. As uh, You guys have an all-electric SUV I've heard about. And she goes, uh, yeah, it's right here. We're in a small showroom with just one car in it. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's so much bigger than I thought. I, I saw some pictures online. It looked, looked a little, I thought it might be too small for me, but this is big and lovely and luxurious and she goes well here it is you're looking at it i go so this is a just plug-in electric all electric suv this is what you got here right she goes yep that's it and i go whoa it's beautiful and then she goes oh no wait that's the g80 sorry yeah no the the g70's out in the lot this is this is the gas powered one yeah and i'm like of course it is because it's so big and so beautiful exhaust pipes secondly Your desk is four feet from this vehicle, and this is where you sit all day. You've not sussed this out. Right. But here's the riddle. And by the way, before the riddle comes, if you went back a week later and asked the woman the exact same question, I guarantee you get the same answer. Yes. Which is insane because as you start saying like, well, what's the range on the SUV, the all electric one, or how long does it take to charge? It's like, oh, let me check on that. Let me check on that. You know, everything's like, let me check. Nobody knows anything anymore. Now, here's the deal that two days later, I'm in Ojai at a farmer's market and I'm walking through it and I see some olive oil and I talk to the middle-aged lesbian who is selling the $14 bottle of olive oil. She knows much more about her product. Of course. She gives me a 20 minute dissertation on cold pressing Mm -hmm. and not have the type of olives and where they were important, what part of Italy they're important from. That's $14. The Genesis is $71,000. The olive oil lady knows a shit ton more about her product. So she the $71,000 product. So she should work for Genesis. She should work for Genesis. You know what I I love about you is in the description was the lesbian woman. Now, why is that pertinent to the story? You just show me your home, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exquisite detail. Yes. And uh, a lot of radius corners and things that I love. Yeah. It's a fun. I mentioned the guy sold it. You bought it from was gay, right? I, I don't know for sure, but... But most likely. Okay, that's yours. I'm going with the lavender color choice in the uh, banquette over mm-hmm. there. Anyway, point is, is I need to profile everybody. Okay. All the time. Okay. That's that's what I do. Okay. And uh, this middle-aged lady and her business partner... Yeah. ...standing next to it in, in Ojai. It's a, you know, it's a judgment-free zone yeah. there. I'm not sure. judging. No, no, of course. I would actually prefer... To buy olive oil from a lesbian. Right, of course. You probably prefer to buy everything from them. They know more about it than than the uh, straight chip. That's what I love about farmer's market is the passion behind what they do. The passion. Which is what's lacking. That's why... Now, you you have kids, right? And they're they're young. They're they're under 20. Yes. Do they have work ethic? No. Why is that? What's going on? Not with your kids, but in general. Um, Well, there's a couple things going on with this generation, as we would say. A, not interested in getting their driver's license, which is unthinkable to yeah. every old person I talk to. How they, do they get around? Their parents, Uber, you know, friends or whatever. Just yeah. a general lack of interest in getting a driver's license. Okay. It's, just, it's in, insane. Um, as far as the work ethic goes, I mean, 
I have this argument slash discussion with everyone all the time, which is I'm like, I want my son to work at McDonald's. And they go, right. what? your son shouldn't be working. What's he need to work? And I'm like, yeah. He needs to learn how to work. That's right. how, why he doesn't need to learn how to sear frozen patties right. for a skill or shoot secret sauce out of a caulking gun. That's not a skill. He just needs to learn. First off, he needs to learn what he doesn't want to do, right. which is stand behind a grill. So there's something it, it. But why don't they understand what I think you and I understand is there is nothing more gratifying than working a full day, getting a check and then using that check to buy something. Why don't they see that? Why don't they understand that it would make their souls feel better? That's what I'm having trouble understanding. We are having difficulty as a nation in doing things that are satisfying versus doing things that sort of feel good. Right. You know, like everyone's like, oh, I'll, I'll just get on that Ozempic and then I won't have to diet and exercise and stuff or whatever drug they're going to on. And I go, you don't get it. Diet and exercise is good for your head. You right. know what I mean? And they go, yeah. well, why should I go sweat when I can just take yeah. a pill? And I, I keep telling them, you don't understand where this is leading yeah. for, for you. The diet and exercise is a discipline it's something that needs to be a part of your life it's important to you thriving right successful people engage in it and they're like i'm taking the pill they don't get how that works we're very similar because i've always hated shortcuts like when i was a kid i loved collecting baseball cards and i would buy seven packs 15 cents it was a dollar five i had a paper route i'd take my money i'd buy the base and i'd try and get i gotta get jim rice i gotta get this person Mm -hmm. and then in my high school all of a sudden they would sell the entire package. You could buy every baseball card that year without having to collect it or do the work. And the rich kids bought the full pack of baseball cards and I never understood it because part of the fun was unraveling or opening them up and getting the shitty gum. Did you ever collect baseball cards? No. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's this sort of, like through the years I've seen people stopped caring about the process and growing from the process. Every single job I've had, I've learned something from. And there's, you know, whether it was golf, I was a caddy. And and you would, if if somebody hit, the, the grass goes flying up, you have to replace the divot. Yeah. You have to replace the problem you caused. Right. And you learn something. And this is lost, I think, on, on this generation. Agreed. And they have no idea what they're doing, sort of micro and macro. You know, when we go, you know, these people need to be taken care of by the government because they don't have the chance to whatever. It's like you are screwing them up, idiots. You have no idea what you're doing to generations of people. So how do you handle this as a parent? Is it just painful? Is it frustrating? Is it? I'm honestly, I'm sort of philosophical about it, which is like, this is the new world order. Uh, I'll try to, you know, implement some wisdom when I can. And basically what I do with my kids is I just go, I'm doing this by example. I say to them, like, I am going to work today. Or, you know, can you, can we go to the whatever? You know, my daughter just said like, I want to fly first class to Miami. I said, I don't fly first class wow. when I'm working. Yeah. You know, eh, half truth. Sometimes I do, sometimes right. I don't. But the <laughs> point is, is I just told her, I don't fly first class. I'm going to work. You know, she'll go like, you know, they'll like, can you, you know, take me to whatever on Thursday? And I go, no, 
I have to work so I can oh, provide for you exactly. guys. So and I'm not going to be here. Have they shown any interest in your work or what you do? Do they go to your studio? Do they observe you? Um, my daughter, not so much. My son has some interest in maybe talking. He's sort of uh, emphasis on sports. He likes sports and right. stats and data and, th and that kind of stuff. And look, has a sense of humor and has yeah. comedians he likes. Not me, but uh, other <laughs> other folks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's some passing interest in, yeah. in you know, communicating for yeah. a living. Okay, okay. This is something that drives me nuts, and I bet it drives you nuts too. When I go out to eat, I look around the restaurant and I see everybody on their phones. Yes. Out to eat. Dates. Mm -hmm. First dates. Married people. And you look over and there's just two people on their phones. Yes. And the other night I went to a Mexican restaurant and the table right next to it was so distracting that it ruined our meal. Was a mother and a young child that was probably five or six years old. And the mother was on the phone the entire time and the kid had nothing and the kid's looking at us like right. adopt me right like save me yes and the mother's not looking like if you see me on my phone i'm not i'm not on tiktok i'm not looking at other people's content i'm reading things to enrich my mind now mm. i'm not like altruistic or that great but i just don't i wouldn't sit there with somebody else like when i look at dates i've i've seen dates where like one of them is on a dating app i look okay. and, and this is <laughs> This is what I've come to realize, like with this mother yesterday, this is the new latchkey kid. Oh, yeah. I, I was talking about this on my podcast that you're growing up with a kind of an absentee parent, yeah. you know, who's physically there, but mentally not there. Um, so a couple things. So I've said this to people. I was just talking about this. Like if if you and I went out to dinner and we just sat down and you started pontificating and I just pulled out a book. Right. Just <laughs> put it in front of my face and started, or the sports page yeah, and just yeah, yeah, fluffed yeah, it yeah. up in front yeah, of me yeah, and just yeah, started yeah. reading the box scores and yeah. stuff. You'd be pissed off, right. insulted, and rightfully so. Yes. What is the difference between hard hard copy, you know, hardbound copy of Moby Dick and me staring at my phone. Yeah, you got to do that. The next time somebody pulls out their phone, just pull out oh, Moby okay. Dick. <laughs> it's insulting. It is insulting. And, okay, there's a couple things. People think they can multitask, uh, especially women. Women think I can read... I can read about what's going on with Cardi B and her ass <laughs> and listen to your story. Right. No, you can't. But people do have an insane ability to parrot back the last five words somebody said. Interesting. It's exactly five? Uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I love it because I, I, I think you're right. It's probably. a syllable count, really. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, ands and thes and right, ifs, yeah, you know, yeah. might, might be seven words. But what okay. I'm saying is... I've said to people, if you got in a horrific motorcycle accident and were just strewn out on the highway and, you know, concussed and bleeding from your ear and the paramedic leaned over you, you would be able to parrot back his last five words. Interesting. You would. Yeah. We have this ability. And so what people, they get, the way they get out of trouble is they're staring at their phone and then you go, hey, I need you to listen to me. And they go, yeah, uh, Starbucks. Two lines, better world. Yeah, right. I got it. Yeah. I heard you. I heard you. But, but it's it, it, we're able to, it's like we have a playback tape that's good for 12 seconds oh, in our head that yeah. we can always, 
So they always think they defeat you by parroting back the last five words you said that they didn't listen to or react to, but it's it's up on the drive. Right, right. Which is what I wanted to talk about today because we were having this discussion yesterday privately about listening skills. And this is something that you believe you have to train like a muscle. Absolutely. And I was I was shocked to learn that you had done the groundlings. What, at what point in your career did you do the groundlings? At the very beginning. I mean, it wasn't in my career. I didn't I didn't have a career. I yeah. just showed up and took groundlings classes. That that to me is so surprising because to me you seem like a guy that's just going to do it your way and I don't need the structure. Nobody can teach me. Am I incorrect with that thinking? Um, well, you're correct and incorrect. When, when I started exploring comedy, I was like 21, 22. And I was like, you know, you got a dead end construction job and you drive a beater pickup truck and, you know, you're not really material. You're not going to be a lawyer. You're not going to be a doctor. You know, you can't work in an office. You can't spell. You can barely read. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You got barely a high school education you know what there is no white collar outlet for you no so i i i didn't have any i was a horrible student i i I had no white collar avenue um and i also sort of went like i i don't think you're gonna make it in 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 the sort of professional world you know you can be able to put a suit on and show up to an office every day and and navigate that it's Did, just never gonna were work. your parents professional in that sense uh my family was kind of limited and weird with their work my mom was just welfare and food stamps my dad was like kind of a part-time teacher it's like substitute school teacher at some point and then got a job uh, working in a an orphanage as as a like teacher director of education, a place called uh, Five Acres in Altadena, an orphanage essentially. So nobody made any money, and nobody was. People did college later on in life, like in their forties and fifties, and and it was a weird mishmash of sort of, sort of, sort of um, intellectual white trash. You uh-huh. know, there was sort of intellectual intellectual but they also lived in kind of squalor and right. didn't have things and everyone's car was a beater and would they read the paper and discuss current events was that part of the culture they didn't discuss my my family wasn't uh conversational we didn't talk i didn't, I didn't talk to my my parents um my dad's idea of a of a, a fun saturday would just sit on the sofa and read a book Okay. And and my idea of a fun Saturday would be outside wrestling with some kid on the lawn. And and he didn't care for, you know, sports or cars or mm. building or tools and yeah. and wrestling and you know, I wanted to just go find a roof and jump off it into a swimming pool. That was my idea. And his idea was hang out and and read a book. Okay. So we didn't really <laughs> we didn't we didn't share a lot of interests and my family wasn't very magnanimous. It wasn't like, well, I don't like football, but the boy likes football. So I'm going to go support him. It was like, good. He likes football. That takes place outside of this house. So go do it. Okay. And see if the coach will pick you up before the game and drop you off, you know? And so I, I didn't really interact with my, with my family. Interesting. And yet you still found this drive 
to get out there and do these things. And, and, I, and I, I guess I'm sort of stuck on the fact that you come from a family that doesn't communicate, but this is what you do for a living. Like, I find it fascinating. And I, I should have said this early on. I'm in awe of your talent mm. as a broadcaster. Mm. I really am. And I wouldn't say that. But listening to you when you covered for Howard Stern when he went off the air and listening to you on different shows, you're just so good at it. And that was the impetus for this discussion that we had yesterday about your listening skills. Because in order to be an incredible interviewer, you have to be able to listen, take it in, and respond. And that goes back to your groundlings, where they taught you how to do that. And it was something that you work on as a, with a muscle, as like a muscle. And I said to you yesterday, I said, how are my listening skills? And you're like, oh, okay, good. Uh, you know, better than average or whatever. And I was actually shocked. I thought... I thought I was going to come in B plus A minus. I, I I had you at a C plus B. There's no way. First of all, C plus B minus. But there's oh, no yeah. there's no See, way. I told you that was a bad. Yeah, I don't mean to correct you. The unschooled. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, now you, it's not that you didn't go to college. You're unschooled. Oh, unschooled. You're unschooled. Yes. Just decided. <laughs> yeah, I I think that um, I think I have really good listening skills. What. What can I do to work on my listening skills? Well, interviewing is really listening. Mm -hmm. And the problem with comedians in, in the interviewing process is they're trying to load jokes instead of listening. Right. It's really hard to be in the process of loading a joke in your head and fully listening to what the person is saying, right. much like reading the story about Cardi B and listening to me complain about right. Starbucks. It's, right. it's, you can hear bits and pieces of me in my Starbucks uh, conversation, but you don't get the full 100%. But doesn't your mind do that it. too? Because we talked about this yesterday. When I do your podcast, we go off in all these different tangents where you'll say something and I'll think like, this is why I get exhausted doing this. I'm thinking, don't interrupt Adam. Now bring that up later. If it comes up, he's on a roll. Don't break his rhythm, but try and come back to that thought, that Avenue, that tangent. And that's when I get exhausted, but I feel like I'm good at listening. Oh, like I'm taking in most of this. You're better than most is what I would say. But what I would also say is it's it's people think it's just a thing like height or the color of your eyes. It, it isn't. It's just a tangible skill, a muscle that needs to be exercised. I was no good at it when I when I started. Okay. I really I don't feel like I became a good interviewer until like year 15 of of broadcasting. And when did you start? I started broadcasting regularly on on Loveline when I was 32 or something something like that and I was I don't think I became a good interviewer until I was like in my mid 40s and were you doing your podcast at that point no no I was just doing terrestrial radio which I, I really I I I, I'm just, I, your skills so good. You're so interesting. You can go off on any topic. I mean, it's really, it's, it's enjoyable. It, it really <laughs> yeah. is. But like, help me to understand so I can become better. Well, so I'll, when you're talking, when you're talking, you're telling the story about how you come from a family that doesn't really communicate. And in my head, I think 
well, that's weird. Like, I want to say, well, that's weird because that's how you make a living is communicating and you're so good at it, but I don't do it. I stop myself, but I'm slightly derailed from your words and the story you're telling. What am I supposed to do? I mean, it's, 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 it's not really an intellectual process. You know, it's more just sort of reps. Um, (laughs) You will find, and I have found this personally with myself, less is always more in the interview department. Mm. If you go back and listen to your tapes of interviewing somebody, I do it. I would do it with myself. Mm-hmm. I would wince because I'd go, oh, I didn't even let the person finish their thought. I jumped in with a joke or something. Oh. You, you know what I mean? So I, I think there's an element of interviewing, which is sort of, you have to be magnanimous, which is this is about them. It's not about me and how funny I can be or interesting or witty, you know, I can be. The, the, the thing about interviewing is, is tons of reps and then make it about the other person and then go, I, and then ask questions that are completely organic. I mean, the worst interviewers have the list of, of this thing, you know, and then they go, um, they're interviewing, you know, this person. And then the person goes, uh, shortly after my son died, I, I thought about suicide. And then they go, oh, okay. And what was it like working with Harrison Ford? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. person just said something. Right. Son died. Okay. We need to explore this, not right. move on to the next thing that's on my list of, of questions. Okay. But you don't have a list, so you're fine. No, but I have thoughts coming into this because you started your podcast in what, 2008? Uh, nine. 2000, and how, what was the landscape like then? Because you're, you had, according to Guinness Book of World Records, the most downloaded podcast of all time. How, did yeah. this, how does this happen? Um, I had a terrestrial radio job for a million years and then they flipped the format and then I got sort of cast out. And... I wanted to continue communicating with the people that listened to me. It wasn't really a, a business endeavor. It mm. was just, I, I realize being such a fan of, of talk radio that when somebody went off the air, th- there's a sense of loss with the, with the audience. Now, when like friends stops doing, you know, when they stop an episode, you know, season eight or whatever, they stop you go, oh, I like that show. I, I kind of miss that show. Uh, but you don't have this feeling of a bond, you know, a connection, okay. something being broken, yeah. you know, versus a, a voice that you connected with. Because because people drive alone at night and listen to the radio and you, you really penetrate their, their skull, you know. So I was like, I'll just keep doing this podcast for an hour a day. And if the people, you know, I just said before I signed off, I said, look, uh, most of you don't give a shit. Most of you are not going to follow. But if you're out there and you're listening and you feel like there's a connection and you want to continue this relationship, then starting Monday, I'll I'll be podcasting. And, and that's how it broke down. Now, were you one of the first? Yeah, I was a, amongst the earlier adopters of hmm. podcasting. Um, well, I took the ground, going back to the groundlings, I realized that I while while I was naturally funny I had no skill 
I had never been on stage. I didn't know the mechanics of, of performing, of, of being in front of, of an audience or, or even the sort of physicality of it, like stage left, upstage, downstage. Yeah. I, I'd never been on a stage. So when did you start doing stand-up? Because that's how I found that coffee clip. I was trying to find stand-up clips of yours. And the earliest I found was you at Just for Laughs. And it felt like you've really evolved as a stand-up since then. Yes, I was no good when I when I started. Uh, as if everybody sort of no good when yeah. they when they start anything. But they usually start as a no name, completely under the radar, right? And put in the time. So you know, I started when I was in my early twenties in college. Nobody knew me, and I could yeah. just I could develop. Yes. Whereas you were already a name, right? When you started doing stand up? Well, I started doing like open mics when I was like 22, 23 or something. And I was like quickly like, eh, this isn't really your arena. Yeah. And I just wasn't good at it. I wasn't comfortable with it. And I really, I just deemed myself not good at it. Okay. And so then I, I said, well, I'll, I'll focus on sketch in, in group improv. Right. So then I started focusing on that and I never really went back to to yeah. stand up. And then that gave way to radio and TV and all sorts of other stuff. And I, I, I always kind of had in the back of my head, like, I think if I worked at stand up, I, I could be good at stand up, but I'm just not working at it. I'm doing too many other productions and yeah. shows and I didn't need to do it financially. And I, it, there's just no reason for me to do it other than like a little bit of a vanity project like right. i i think i could do this if i put in the time so at this ripe old age now i'm finally kind of getting my legs as right. as a stand-up yeah. which is weird because it's so so far down the line and what i love about it which i think is fascinating as somebody so me as a stand-up i knew from a young age i was going to be a stand-up i started in high school reading books about comedians and I would read Woody Allen's books. I would read then who influenced Woody Allen, which was SJ Perlman and Benchley. And then I'd read who influenced them. My dad said, Hey, if you like somebody find out where they started and work backwards. And mm -hmm. I was checking books out from the Boston public library that hadn't been checked out since 1910. <laughs> I mean, I was reading Oscar Wilde who influenced wow. him and <clears throat> I studied it and I would write down in, in, on pieces of paper. I'd break it down. What made it funny? what Woody Allen was doing that, you know, how he wrote the hook and all that sort of stuff. So I, I knew, and I studied it and I have such respect. It's, it's probably what frustrates me most about stand-up comedy is there are so many imposters. There's so many people that are just coming out. They're just saying something funny about coffee and observation. They're being loud. They're using a voice. They're using a gesture. And then the bit ends, whereas there's no resolution. But what I love about you is you really respect stand-up comedy in the process, right? And you're curious. When you've had me on, you've been curious. And I can tell by who you like that you understand what's real and what isn't. Why do you think that is? I think for me, I had a a sense of humor, like, like people have a singing voice or mm -hmm. they're athletic or something like that. Um, and I was just had it. Like it was just sort of bequeathed to me at, right. at birth. Now, I I had no training, but later on, I sort of became a student. Like I had the ability 
the sense of humor. Right. And then I studied, like I, I trained right. and then I, I really thought about like, what is funny? How do you break it down? Um, it's, it's not good enough just to sort of combine words and say something that has a funny rhythm to it or a funny sound to it. There has to yeah. be a resolution. There has to yeah. be something that, that comes from this, yeah. you know, it, it can't just be a joke that's kind of floating around on it on its own. Are, you know, are you able to articulate because you are naturally funny and that's, like when I would listen to you on the radio, I'm like, how is he coming up with all this stuff? In fact, on your podcast, I don't know how you do it several times a week. It must be exhausting. It must be to mine that much information. No, no see, I had the 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 blessing of 10 years of manual labor, like a decade plus of literally digging ditches and you know mm-hmm. scraping asphalt shingles off of roofs and and stuff like that with the dream of going indoors <laughs> with some air conditioning and sharing ideas yeah. you know that the, the you know I'd work all day and then at lunch you'd sit on a pile of drywall eat a burrito and talk and, and were you the funny guy on the site yeah and yeah. that that was that was the that was the best part of the day yeah so the notion of doing a podcast or doing stand up or doing some corporate gig or some somebody goes someone wants to give you some money and a microphone right. stand here that to me is like oh i get to i get to do the thing i've been wanting to do right. the whole time i was on the roof was come down sit in the shade eat a burrito and pontificate which comes back to like your kids the fact that you have such respect for work and the ethic and you understand how lucky we are to make a living from this i think that's important I, 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 and I'm not, I, I shouldn't single out your kids. I'm saying this generation, you yes. know, I have a line on stage about how marriage is work. It, it's work. You ask any married couple, what's it like to be married? They go, it's work. It's work. And then I, I look at some kids. I go, is that what you want? Work? And then I look at young people. Go, From what I can tell, your generation doesn't want to work at all. Right. They, they don't. But you understand. Like I went to a college where every kid had a brand new BMW. It was at 325i. They mm-hmm. all had that. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a 1983 Toyota Celica that mm-hmm. I earned by having a paper route, by having uh, working as a caddy. I worked at a mental hospital uh, as a security guard. Like, it, and I loved that car and respected that car more yes. than they ever could. And to to buy your first car is such a beautiful thing. And I just don't I don't understand why this generation doesn't get that. We're in a in a time where you and I and many others, everyone who came before us, learned very valuable lessons because we didn't have a choice. And so you would work on a farm, you learned very valuable lessons, but you had to get up, you had to chop wood, you had to slop the hogs, you had to kill the chickens and cook it. Everybody had something to do or you would die. (laughs) I mean, you had to, you had to stock up enough wood to get you through the winter or you would freeze to death. Right. Right. So you go, well, those, those people are hardy stock and they have a great work ethic and they have whatever. It's like saying, Oh, this guy fell off the back of a cruise ship. Boy, is he a good swimmer? Boy, is he get a lot of exercise? It's like, no, he was trying to survive. Right. So now, we have a choice. So I didn't have a choice. 
my parents had no money. They what little money they had, they they weren't sharing with me. Huh. Uh, my my life was going to be laboring away on a job site. So yeah. I didn't want that life. I didn't want to drive a piece of crap pickup truck. I for me, I wanted air conditioning. I never had a car that had air conditioning. I didn't have apartments that had air conditioning. So it wasn't a choice. Now, if you said to me when I was 19, would you like to go to this house in Silver Lake at Dr. Fagenbaum's house and dig footings out on the front lawn yeah. all all day for $8 an hour? Or would you like to hang out here and order Grubhub and ah. watch, and watch watch porn on your phone? I'd be, I'm not leaving. Right. Well, should parents cut their kids off? I have a neighbor. I won't say who it is, but they have a um, a child. I won't even say the gender. Early 30s, they pay for everything. Early 30s. Yeah. And they, I said, well, why don't you cut them off? And he said, I threatened to cut my child off. And the child said because he pays for the house everything said i'll just live in my car which i'm sure he gave him gave the child that too that's right yeah so what what is this what's the solution is there a way to show kids i i think one thing you learn when you have kids and i think it's true for everyone we know is everyone is always talking about you know these kids need to be exposed to classical music. You know, these interstates are like, like they're going to pick up an oboe or something. It's like, it doesn't make it. This exposure, this this wisdom we're going to pass along. People are sort of who they are. Like, think about everyone you've ever known in your life. Are right. they any different than no. they ever were? Exactly. And we'll, we'll include ourselves in this. So what you hope for, there's two things that can motivate a person. It's, it's passion or desperation. Okay. I was lucky enough to have both. I had passion. I wanted to do comedy and I was completely broke and desperate and wanted air conditioning. So that's the, the ultimate motivators, passion and motivation and, and desperation, right? Um, we've removed the desperation element with my kids and many other kids and the guy living up the hill from you. There's no more desperation because everyone has enough. Everyone we know has makes a good living, could take care of the kids. Kids grow up in 6,000 square feet with five air, you know, five AC zones in their house. So desperation removed. Now all we have is passion, not guaranteed. Right. You have to, you have to pray that, your kids find a passion because if they have a passion, then that will propel them. Mm. You know, when, when I met Jimmy Kimmel, no one had to tell him to work on comedy. You know, he, that's where he was going. That's what he was doing. Right. He was passionate. No one had to tell me, Oh, come on, take a groundlings class. Oh, come on, go do this thing. You know, do an open mic. You know what? I, that I was compelled to do it. Yeah. So, in place of desperation, desperation is the winter's coming. You better go chop right. some fucking wood or we're all going to freeze in this cabin. Right. That's, that's a motivator. Yep. But passion is also a motivator. But a lot of people lack that. I wonder what percentage of the population has passion. Like 4% of the population is sociopathic. Right. That, that's a statistic. One in 25. So I wonder how many people have 
driving passion to do something. It's it's not it's not many. Yeah. I mean, percentage wise, um, it's it's the scariest thing to me is like when I talk to a young person and I go, what do you want to do? You know, and they go, oh, yeah. And I go, well, what do you like? Yeah. You know, and they go, look, video games and edibles. And, and I go, no, yeah, but what do you like, like in terms of a life force? You know, yeah. and they go, I don't know. Like I go, oh, my God, I feel right. I, I, I'd, I'd rather talk to a double amputee. I have I have more empathy for the person that just goes, I don't know. But maybe we're just getting old and we're out of touch. Could be. Yeah. I'd because like to, you brought I'd like this to be. Yeah, you brought this up the other day. People you said, do that shit all the time and they go, he doesn't even, you don't even know how much a gallon of milk costs. And I go, yeah, I know, I'm rich. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. It could be $18, could yeah. be four cents. Doesn't make a difference to me. Yeah. By do, the way, you don't want me knowing how much a gallon of milk costs. Yeah. Do you do you feel, because you said this yesterday when we were talking, that you're not, people in their 20s don't know you. Does that bother you that you're aging out of a demographic? You know, it's weird with me because, yes, it, it does would be to answer your question, but I've had met a lot of people at my live shows where the dad is there with his son hmm. and the dad to, uh, just 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 happens like my son's 26th birthday and I took him to you know or yeah. my son got me on to your podcast or something so there's some sort of transgenerational mm. pollination pollinization going on yeah. um that's good which 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 I would I would like because right. otherwise you just your demo just goes to the grave right you know right exactly so what I wanted to ask before is are you able to articulate what the skill set and how different it is taking being the funny guy on the roof, being the funny guy on the radio, and then being the funny guy on stage. Because there's a lot of people that are funny on the radio and they can't do stand up. I, for me, I looked at comedy is like being athletic. Mm -hmm. You can go, this guy's a great athlete. Mm -hmm. But then the next question is, what sport do you play? Because Golf and tennis are a lot different than football and swimming and right. baseball, you know. So I was sort of personally, I was like, you're a good athlete. I'm a good athlete right. comedically. Good, good ability. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to excel at tennis. Yeah. It means you have to work at tennis. And radio is baseball and stand up is football. You know, these are different sports and different skill sets, which you... If you're athletic, you'll have a much better chance of excelling, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do that work. Right. So for me, I, I was like, you know, acting is one thing and stand-up is another and broadcasting is another and sketch and improv. These are all separate things. And it, you're athletic. You can do them, but it doesn't mean you, you don't have to work at them. And so that's what I did with stand-up. But how different like, is like a topic that you would talk about on your podcast? What what's the how do you uh, translate it into stand up? I you does know, it have to be more concise, less rambling? You, you know, I more normal, concise. Normally, see, I just talk and talk and talk, and I don't really ever stop and go, oh, oh, oh hey, you know, yeah. okay, and and I never did. I was just talk and talk and talk. And so it, it, at a certain point, I started going, look, if you're just going to talk and talk and talk, 
and you stumble onto something funny, you should make a note of it because that could then work in the, the stand-up arena. Right. And um, I also would pay somebody just listen to all my talking on the podcast and then pull out stuff Smart. that you think works yeah. would, would, would translate. Mm-hmm. And, and cause I completely forget about it, right. you know, and then certain things were sort of ideas, but, but it's like we were doing the news um, two months ago and they said, uh, you know, uh, in the news, they're they're coming out with a Down syndrome Barbie, and I said just immediately, I go, well, what do they need a Down syndrome Barbie for? Just take a regular Barbie, put it in the microwave, oh, <laughs> and everyone, and I just kind of kept moving, yeah. And then I was like reading Twitter like the next day, and they're like, that Barbie joke was so funny, I had to pull over, I was driving uh-huh. my car, and I was like, oh, well, then I guess I could say, yeah, I could say that. You got to yeah. on stage, my my. Uh, so what the process is, is I was saying my mom, we're talking about the Neptune Society and my family's yeah. in the Neptune Society. And what is my, that? They, low cost burials. They they come get your body for oh, 50 really? bucks and they oh. just throw you in the ocean. You yeah. know? And I said my- Sign me up. I said my mom uh, wasn't in the Neptune. She died a, a year and a half ago or whatever. She donated her body to UCLA. Hmm. Um, so they could study women who didn't love their sons. Ah, that's great. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. I, so I just spat it out. Whatever. Forget. I get an email. You know, a week later, my guy who's listening goes, "Hey, that that UCLA, that's that's super funny. It's right. kind of dark, but it's it's funny." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I could say that on stage. It'd probably right. be funny. You right. know, you know what I mean." And there's so, that old vaudeville joke where they'd say. Uh, I donated my body to science and science rejected it or something. Right. And this is sort of a newer, more personalized truth to it. Yeah. Well, Shand- by the way, Gary Shandling would have loved that joke. Yes. Yeah. I did not know him, but so for me, it's bloviating and yeah. bloviating and bloviating and somebody with a decent ear picking out pieces and going, you yeah. should, you know, mix with, I'm, I just started to write jokes. I, I never thought, in terms of of jokes are you turning I, uh, over a lot of material yeah wow. yeah i i thought always thought in terms of ideas here's my ideas you know what i mean but i never thought in terms of jokes okay. you know and and when i started to do uh try to do stand up um in in a in a more precise sort of craft oriented manner i was like no stage work you know no crowd work no, mm-hmm. none of that. I never do that or almost right. never do it yeah. because I'm good at it and I'm not, I won't get anything out of it. Right. it that, that, that comes easy for me that, that I've done that my whole life. You know, where are you from? I used to do stand up where I just go, we'll just do what can Adam complain about? Just shout out clouds or kittens or and coffee or, coffee or, or anything. Just right. shout out anything and I'll do 10 minutes on yeah. it. But then I realized in my sort of second iteration of stand-up, without sounding like a blowhard, that's too easy, and you get no growth out of it. I, that I can do, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to focus on what I can't do or what I don't do, which is write a joke, memorize it, Smart. and tell a joke, mm-hmm. and don't do any imp- any crowd work or sure. imp- improvisation. How long is the show? I... 
hour plus or whatever. I mean, I I can go and I, I could however long I want it to be, yeah, but it's I, usually I, an hour. And I look at your tour schedule, which is where is that? Is it on a website? Is it like if people want to see your show? It's 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 scrawled down on a piece of bark, Orny. Yeah, that's <laughs> with a charcoal briquette that's in my yard. Okay, good. Yes, What's you your could, address? You could, go, you could go to adamcarolla.com right. if you'd like. I look at your tour schedule. It. I'm like, I would not want to be doing all these dates. You are out there. I am trying to get better at stand up. And and I feel good yeah. at stand up now, and I didn't feel good at stand up, you know, f- several years ago. So I'm like, this is getting much easier. I'm getting much better, and the audience is enjoying it more. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine walking out doing an hour, hour and ten minutes, or or whatever. And I want to write down jokes, and I want to tell those jokes. Right. I think we should sit down and have a beer at some point and just talk comedy and structure and all that stuff i think that'd be interesting i'm good i think this is enough okay then we don't have to do that all right let me ask you this no we should okay let me ask you this you did you did this at least one time when we're like podcasting like yes i want to tell my restaurant story you shut me down you always remind me that i'm not famous busting chops is kind of fun down i of course i I, I would never do it if i didn't think you were such an immense talent i watched this documentary last night on vice tv on the shock jocks of the 90s oh yeah where do you fit in there because i know you took over for stern but this this was vicious this uh Howard Stern, Man Cow, Opie and Anthony, there was a real, they were fighting. They were going after each other. In fact, Stern went after some guy in Philadelphia that was his competition, ended up like having his ex-wife on and then and made fun of the guy. And then she ended up committing suicide a month later. It seems vicious. What is that? What is now that I'm a radio guy, now that I'm on KFI AM 640, yeah. that you can't listen to me in your electric car because there's no, no radio. What, what was going on? Where do you fit in in that? Because I, I only think of that because you just insulted me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never really was down with the sort of shock jock competition part of the industry. I, I, what I sussed out really early in my radio career is these guys weren't that funny. And and I was, and I basically went. These guys have, these guys are ten percent funny and ninety percent experience. I'm ninety percent funny and ten percent experience. So all I need to do is get my reps, get my ten thousand hours, show up every day, talk into the microphone, make my make my little notes and doodles and yeah. stuff. I I don't really need to squabble with with people who aren't very funny um but it's good for ratings and in fact podcasters do it now yeah i I never i just it it was something i was sort of personally uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. like i i don't want to have beefs with with people i don't don't get why that would feel comfortable i don't like i mean i wouldn't want a beef with a radio personality anymore and i'd want to beef with uh as my son you know or my dad you I know like i way. i don't i don't know what the i don't want this beef there's people i think are idiots and douchebags and you know, make i would say you know the ladies from the view are idiots you know <laughs> what i mean okay but i'm not trying to start a, a personal a war. war or beef or right. whatever um i was never interested in it and i was sort of i mean you could call it 
being a snob, but I was like, I'm funnier than all these guys. So I don't need to roll around in the mud with them with these weird cooked up stunts or games or beefs or I, I just didn't need the sort of morning show theatrics i I just never felt that way i was like your job is to be funny and and focus on things that you think are funny not argue with there's a cruelty to it too a kicking down yeah there can be i i I never got this sort of freak show like oh this guy comes in he stutters he can barely talk let's make fun of him you know I, i was just like i want to have funny conversations with interesting people and if i do a bit I want to I want to come up with something that's that's interesting right. and and do it. Now you got to kill 4 hours. I mean, look, the problem with morning radio is you have 4 hours to kill. And I didn't play music. So I'd 4 hours of talk every single morning. So guys that aren't really good at talking have to have the sidekick that they yeah. make fun of yeah. because some guy named Six Pack or right, right. Hangover Right, right, right. You have Sludge who's yeah. going to go down to the coin-op car wash yeah, and yeah, kick yeah, him yeah, in the nuts yeah. and get a beer koozie and all that. You got four hours to kill right. five days a week, and you're not that funny. What are we going to do here? We have to build, a, a construct something around you that prevents people from finding out that you're not that funny. Ah, that's essentially what it's all there for. It's an, it's an apparatus. It's spanks for people who aren't, who aren't <laughs> funny. You know what I mean? Comedy spanks. Comedy spanks. And I was like, I am funny. So I'm not doing any of this. So you stuff. didn't fit in. I don't. I mean, I look, I, I understand that I sound like an egotistical douchebag, but I was always of this mind. If, if you said to me, are you a good carpenter? I would say, yes, I'm a very good carpenter. I was a good carpenter. And then they'd say, are you funny? I'd go, yes, I'm very funny. And they'd go, well, okay, douchebag. And I'd go, it's not that, it's no different than carpentry for me. It's quantitative for you. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm, I don't come to me if you need some help with your computer mm-hmm. and don't come to me if uh, you need some help with your taxes. But if you need some help with a joke mm-hmm. or we got to hang some sheetrock, put, put do down it. some base in case, yeah. uh, then come to me because yeah. I do know about that stuff and I'm good at it. But that sort of confidence and arrogance turns off a lot of people. It's something I've experienced. Yeah. Well, you got to be good. Are you a good stand-up comedian? <laughs> I am a good stand-up comedian now. And I say now, I really mean like, in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. You know well, you I mean? can, if we sat down for that beer, you could be a lot better, but yes. turn me down. Uh, no, beer, no, we're having, off the table now. we're having that beer. That beer is off the table. I want to ask you this, because you and I love to complain about little things. This drives me nuts. Mm. Should it be, today is trash day for me. Yes. I love it. I'm a, it's, it's on a Wednesday. That's the, for a comedian, that's the best. You're usually traveling on a Thursday or a Monday. You're flying. This, it couldn't be better. Should it be illegal to throw out trash in somebody else's trash cans the minute those guys pick up the trash cans i'm running out there pulling them in before people put like dog crap in there stuff just like open that. just open my trash can uh two days ago and there's a, a bowl of poop in there from uh some some neighbor what uh, do you do? i've gotten this argument many times um i i have a nuanced 
thoughts on on the okay. dog poop. Um, and I've got I've really gotten to big arguments with people. I've had, I've said look, I took my dog poop bag, yeah, and I threw it up into this just ivy embankment, just just a hill with nothing but ivy on it, like a vacant lot. Yeah. And then I was yelled at that I should throw it in somebody's trash can. Right. Empty trash can. Like, they just had their trash can empty. Now I'm going to put my dog shit in it, and they're going to wheel it back to the garage and right. put it there for a week while a it bake, week. bakes out in the sun? Yeah. No. So my feeling is this. Um, that trash can is not your trash can. Okay. That's his trash I'm can. with you. Uh, your dog poop. Now, don't get me wrong. It's better that you bag it, tag it, and throw it in yeah. any trash can than whip it around your head like an old-timey slingshot and fire it at a special needs kid. Okay. I, I like the idea that you're lo- you're lucid enough to bag it and yeah. put it in a can, but you really needs to go in your can. Right. Um, and it can't go in a can. Look, if I'm walking my dog and I, I get out the poop bag... And I can hear the trash truck coming down the street and there's a neighbor's can that's out there that's full to the top with lawn trimmings or something. I'll throw it in there because I know this truck's going to pick this up in the next 10 minutes. You cannot do it in an empty can. I caught a neighbor's dog walker. They live five doors down, put it in my empty can. I got it on three cameras. (laughs) I took screenshots and I sent it. I I sent it to them. Good. Never heard back. I, I... Okay, I, 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 people are paying, playing way too fast and loose with <laughs> society yeah. right now. Like you, you hear people like politicians. We had a politician, female, I can't remember her name, out here just three months ago. Everyone was like, "What's going on?" Everyone's getting these catalytic converters stolen. It's a big, big right. thing. Maybe, maybe the cartels are involved with all these kids going out right. ripping off these ripping off uh, everyone's catalytic converter. She gives a speech where she's pissed off at Toyota for making it too easy to steal. Oh, wow. But by the way, too easy to steal. It's welded into the bottom of the center of the car. Are they jacking it up? And you then- have to jack it up and go under there with a goddamn Sawzall, or as you know, uh, uh, bay- bayonet saw, reciprocating saw, because right. Sawzall is a brand name. But first but of the- all, you got to get the lug nuts off. That's important too. Yeah. (laughs) The point is, is we are blaming Toyota for manufacturing a car that needs to be, a piece needs to be cut off with a sawzall with sparks flying out while you're under, on your back underneath this car. That that's Toyota's fault. Right. We're a completely upside down world and we need to reel it the fuck in. That is not your trash can. Yup. That is not your parking spot, you know. But it is my catalytic converter. It is not your catalytic converter. Like, like, But my thing is, like, if Toyota chose to just take the catalytic converter and attach it with a piece of Velcro on the hood of the car. Right. You're still stealing. Right, it, right, it's right, not, right. Let's not argue about if it's difficult, if it's hard, if it's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, that elderly woman shouldn't have been so old. It was so easy to knock her to the ground and take her purse. Yeah, what I love about you is you have such strong convictions and you have answers for a lot of these questions. Yesterday came up in discussion that, uh, or on your podcast, that you think organ donations, you should, when you sign up to get your license, which they ask you, 
if you do agree to organ donations, your first ticket, speeding ticket or moving Mo- vi- moving violation would be uh, absolved. Yeah. Yeah. Let off. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, how would you fix California? And I'll, I'll give you something very specific. This is in the L.A. Times today. An L.A. hotel became a homeless housing. The city paid $11.5 million to cover the damages. The Mayfair Hotel shut its doors last year. The building had been through a wrenching, tumultuous period. Windows in the 294-room boutique hotel in the Westlake neighborhood had been shattered. Bathrooms had been vandalized. And the carpet had been torn up in certain locations. The workers there... There's doctors, there's nurses, there's security. These people trashed the hotel. And now the hotel has to be closed. What how do you fix how do you fix Los Angeles's homeless problem? I can't figure it out. Okay. We so when I was driving here, I drove down Force Lawn Drive. It just runs right along the studios and along the cemetery, yeah. right? And I think in my first book, In 50 Years Will All Be Chicks, I noted 14, 15 years ago that as I would go along Forest Lawn Drive, that's the way I went from my home to my studio, uh, that on one side of the road, there were illegals selling flowers. And on the other side of the road... I didn't know they're illegal. Because they're selling flowers <laughs> next to Forest Lawn. Maybe someone does it as a hobby. Maybe they have passion. Okay. And would you ever buy flowers that are supposed to be for yes. a dead person for a date? Okay. Yes. Well, I <laughs> I don't know that they grow them in a specific kind of soil for for, no, for the grieving people. They're arranged for dead people. It's a it's a dead arrangement. I, I'm not. I'm unaware of that. It's made to look good, not in a vase in a house, but you know, on a tombstone. It is. Yeah, I believe so. There's an art to this. I I well. We'll put this we'll we'll put this one aside. We'll talk about it while we're having that beer. Whatever. No, no beer have. anymore. Beer's off the table. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you ruined that. So I noted in my book that on one side there were folks selling flowers, getting cash, an underground economy. In yeah. other words, not claiming it or right. or filing with the IRS or whatever, and undercutting Toluca Lake Florist, who was down the street, who mm. had to pay for their employees and insurance and. Right everything else under the sun. You guys were doing that on one side of the street. On the other side of the street was a motorcycle cop who was backed up mm. into the Jewish cemetery's parking driveway, yeah. backed up hiding with a radar gun, trying to bust soccer moms who were right. going too fast on Four Salon Drive. Wow. And I said, this is an issue because there's illegal activity going on across the street. Right. You have no interest in that. You have interest in removing money from law-abiding, tax-paying. Yeah. People have checkbooks. The other people are empty bags. You cannot get any money from those people. Right. We are in trouble as a city and a state when you divide the populace into people with checking accounts who can pay yes. you and people who are empty bags yes. and decide that the empty bags can just go do whatever they want while we double down on regulation yeah. for the people who have the checkbooks. That was 14 years ago. I drove here today. I saw even more, obviously, illegal yeah. selling flowers Uh-oh. on one side of the street. I'm not endorsing that. But, but-, but as I kept going... I started noticing 
Winnebago's and campers. And now there's 30 something mobile homes parked with homeless people living in that. Unhoused. Unhoused, unsofed. Unsofed. We talked people, about that yesterday. <laughs> right. yeah. Who are living there, right? So let's just use Forest Lawn Drive as a metaphor. Okay. I've grew up in the city. There was nothing on Forest Lawn Drive except yeah. for coffins up the up the hill. Yeah. Now we have illegals selling flowers, undercutting legitimate businesses, and we have this long wagon train of folks living. By the way, this is Toluca Lake. You want to buy a house up the street. Denzel Washington's house is two blocks away. It's $9 million. Is that true? Yes. Wow. So huh. you're living for free. Now, they're still giving out the tickets to anyone who's speeding on Forest Lawn, but the folks, the homeless people, want to fucking deal fentanyl are there and the illegal selling flowers are there. You cannot run a city that way. Yeah. You must enforce the law. Two things. This is going to shock you. Do you know that those vans are rented out to those homeless people? They're called van lords. There yes. are people buying these vans. They don't. Some of them don't have. You're motors. saying vans, but you mean mobile yeah, homes. mobile homes, motor they, ho- motor homes. Well, sorry. there's no motor in some of them, right. and they're actually towed there, and yeah. they're rented to homeless, yeah. unhoused. Excuse me. Right. Unsofered. So Here, here's the other thing mm. that happened to me, which is I find very similar to the duality, or you know, people have money and the people don't. I was downtown picking up some t-shirts that I had made, merchandise, and I parked in a space where the meter wasn't working. I ran in to get the stuff. I come out, the guy's writing me a ticket. Yes. Okay? Right behind me is an is a motorhome yes. that's camped out, no ticket. Right. Can't run a city that way. You cannot have... you. There's always going to be a division between the haves and the have-nots, and you're going to have to have, you know outreach programs and stuff like that. Not everyone's a high earner. Not everyone's going to pay tons in taxes and keep the lights on. But the progressive cities, the cities like Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, have a massive chasm between the haves and the have-nots. And they treat them, you want to walk into the BevMo and load up a shopping cart of free booze, as you were telling me, and just push it out. Of, of the establishment, Scott Free. That's what I saw. Right. Yep. And, and then Los Angeles is a place where, and, and this is 100% true, if you would like to live free in your Winnebago on the streets, yeah. no problemo. Uh, if you would like to pull a permit to build a deck off the back uh-huh. of your house, big problemo. Right. Big problem. Right. So which is it? And the answer is it's both. And that chasm is great in Los Angeles. There's a great chasm. Why is that? Is that because housing is so much more expensive here than other cities? They've just figured out, look, we could stop illegals who don't have driver's licenses and don't have their car registered and tow them and put them in an impound lot. But that costs money. Right. That costs the city money. You don't make money. Uh, you you cost yeah. it costs you money. Right. You could round these people up and put them here or arrest them or do it. That's a, that's money coming out of the coffers. Right. Why not just hit up people who have money and get money coming in? Right. And then we'll sort of politicize it. Like these people need to pay their fair share, and this rich guy and these fat cats or whatever. So that's basically it, so where if we're I, at. If I'm outraged, is that wrong? 
No, everybody in Los Angeles. But why do they make you feel like it's wrong? Because we, Los Angeles is very progressive. Progressive is chick oriented and it's emotional oriented. The, true, the, 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 we just got fucked in the ass with COVID. Completely reamed in the ass with COVID because we have Barbara Ferrer, who's not a doctor, who's steeped in chick think, and the LA City, the LA City Council, who's just a bunch of fucking yentas, and their approach to COVID was like shut everything down. Everyone just go home. Mm-hmm. I know, I know how you, you feel. You can't about COVID. think that way. You have to think about business and commerce and small businesses and what what it's going to do to kids to keep them out of school. But it's just. We we are chick think, Flor- chick Florida's think? dude this? think. Oh, okay. And, and you don't need to have a man. We had a mayor, Garcetti. He's a dude. Thinks like a chick. Is chick think? <laughs> chick think is the difference between you and your wife, and whether the kid, you know, the kid wants a mini bike. But you know, and 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 the dude goes, okay, he's gonna he's gonna yeah. learn how to work on it, and the and the chick goes, that's too dangerous. He he shouldn't be doing that. But and I don't want him on that. And these the guy are generalizations. goes, now you no, know well, you're, but you know you get yourself in trouble saying this. You know you're being controversial. Well, what like, I think is fascinating is you're so smart. It's you, true. I, I like I'm what not, you were saying prior to this makes so much sense that there's the people that have money, and the people don't have money, mm-hmm. and I just don't want you to taint it with your. I'm not saying chick think is bad. Okay, good. It's good for raising kids. It's not good for policy. It's not good. We need to be compassionate for the unhoused people. That's chick think. What do we get? Shit more load of of homeless people. Mm -hmm. That's it's the compassion. You're blaming Toyota, not the people that are stealing the catalytic converters. Right. Chick think. Not good. It's it's not good for policy. Another way to label it. Well, look, that's me. The there are plenty. Margaret Thatcher's a chick who thought who her policy was dude think. You see what I'm saying? There's it's not. Can Gavin Gavin Newsom? I don't. I don't. Well, first off, not everything's a popularity contest. Gavin Newsom is a dude who engages in chick think. That's that's what I'm saying. And there's plenty of and and then there's you I'm know, starting to think you're conservative. Candace Owens is a chick who who engages in dude thing. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's how it works. So how do we fix the homeless? Well, you have to you have to have policies that don't incentivize it. So basically, what we do in Los Angeles is it's like we're running a national park, and we go, you know what? Look, here's my policy. We're going to remove all of the lids to the dumpsters and we're going to fill them with chili every night before we go to bed. And then I raise my hand and goes, that's going to, we're going to get a bear problem. We're going to have a lot of bears around those dumpsters. And they go, listen, we're not listening to you. We know what we're doing. And then at some point they remove the lids, they fill the dumpsters with chili. And then at some point there's a bear problem. And then I raise my hand and go, there's a bear problem we have now. And they go, agreed. Agreed. And I go, well, look, we got to empty that. Can't put any more chill in there. We got to put lids on top of the, and we got to lock them. And then, then someone goes, that would be cruel to bears. I'm a bear advocate. Hmm. I, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. And then I go, all right, I'll tell you what, let's just keep filling the dumpsters with chili, keep the lids removed. And then let's sit down and have endless conversations about what to do with the dumpsters, but never do anything. 
We'll just we'll, we'll wring our hands. We'll agree. We'll disagree. We'll have arguments and, and we'll never affect anything. That's that's how L.A. rolls. Hmm. That's that's what happens. And thus, the policy is doomed. The policy is shit. The policy is like, oh, let's pull back. Let's 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 get rid of cops on the subways and we'll have uh, we'll have uh, ambassadors. Mm. We'll have travel ambassadors. They, they won't be armed. We'll put a sash on them, whatever. Yeah. All right. So now someone's getting stabbed. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're asking. You're trying to make things work that can't work Just- back back to hard work. You know, diet and exercise. You know what I mean? That's that's the only thing that works. Just too much compassion ruin a city. Yes. Okay. We these people are we're showing compassion for the homeless by 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 the way letting them live in squalor and high on drugs. But that that's it's all done in the name of compassion, hmm. and that's why we have what we have. Let's end on a funny story. Okay. In Texas, did you see this story? A hawk. Drops a snake on a woman. You can't bring up the biggest state in the union and then go, did you see this story? Well, I'm just trying to end on a funny note. (laughs) On Earth. Do you know this one? What? Yeah. No, (laughs) you got to narrow it down a little more than a state that's the biggest state in the union. Well, I'm just a hawk dropped a snake on a woman. Oh, now it's getting focused. Okay. Yeah. And both animals attacked her. So what happened was she's in Texas. I don't know if you've you've been to this place in Texas, but it's... uh, it's near the Mexican, uh, Silsby, Texas, mm-hmm. near the Louisiana border. On July 24th, this woman's out mowing her lawn. A snake falls from the sky, mm. wraps itself around her arm, starts biting her. Okay. Wow. Couldn't get any worse, right? Right. The hawk comes down to retrieve the snake. Right. The, the talons go into her, starts pecking at her. Mm. Could you ever imagine this happening? Like when I was a kid. I don't. I don't believe this happened. You don't believe it. I believe this is an elaborate ruse. Okay. To share with her husband to get out of ever mowing the lawn again in her life. Interesting. You should see her arm. She, well, self-inflicted. She. Look at at the arm right there. Looks like an alien. You know what? People to get out of Vietnam would shoot themselves in the thigh. You don't think yeah. people are capable of this? Listen, you don't think people are capable of faking a hawk attack? All I'm saying is, is this bitch does not want to mow the lawn. Right. Her husband says, we got a perfectly good lawnmower and you're perfectly healthy. Go do the lawn. I'm going to be in here watching Sports Center and drinking a Coors Light. And she wanted to get out of it. And if someone is attacked by two species of animals at the same time, at the same time, Mowing the lawn, they never have to mow the lawn again. But don't you think... There's no spouse that could say... But they found venom in her. They found the talon mark. Talon mar- what get, are those things called? You get called? all online. You get, this is all... This is all. Listen to the audio. This is Fox uh, News, a local Texas uh, station. A rare simultaneous snake and hawk attack cutting a Texas woman deep. Are you uh, looking up now? Oh, listen yeah, to her. I'm constantly looking up. Her arm now wrapped in healing, but emotionally, it's tough. The nightmares. The nightmares are horrific. That's, 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 that's just the angle. This that's is what? the angle. The nightmares. Yeah. The nightmares. Yeah. You say to the husband, hey, the lawn's getting really hot. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never be asked to mow the lawn again. Do you think this is acting then? Listen. Out in Silsby, Texas, Peggy Jones had been mowing the lawn. 
Peggy Jones, didn't you go to that diner on the way to Texas? <laughs> That's right. Vegas. What yeah. was that? Peggy, Pe- Peggy Sue. Peggy Jones's? No, it's Peggy Jones. They better have a Peggy Jones's omelet on the Peggy Sue uh, diner. <laughs> yeah, snake and hawk meat. But you just, when you, you, every day I find out a new way for me to get injured or yeah. die. Listen to her. The lawn. I was just riding along, minding my own business. Out of the blue sky, a snake fell onto her arm. Your instincts are just to sling it off. Then instead of slinging on off, he wrapped around my arm. Just wrapped around it. As I'm slinging, he's striking and striking. He's striking my glasses. The snake over and over again, lunging towards Peggy's face. And all you could see was this... It looked like big wide mouth coming at your face. After four tries, a hawk then ripping the snake away. The hawk, I mean, his wings are just flapping and, you know, I, I can feel the wings on me. I don't really know. I can't say I know how it feels to die because I'm still alive. But I really <laughs> think that I got really close. She wasn't speaking English. She the was husband. hysterical. Peggy's husband, Wendell, also outside running over to help. I doubt he ran over. Don't you no. think this is a blessing? Yes. He yeah. was like... I have prayed for a snake to fall from the heavens. Yeah. And take so, my wife. It's so biblical, the serpent. Yeah. From the heavens. Do you think he ran over to help? Or do you think he was signing up for a dating app? I, I, He ran for cover. Anytime there's a bird of prey anywhere in the vicinity, you're running for shelter. Even in Shelby, Texas? Yes. Shelby, Texas? Mm-hmm. The first words I heard was snake fell out of the air. So I'm thinking, yes, you are hysterical. I told him, I said, a, a snake, a snake just fell out of the air. He said, a snake did this to you. I said, no, no, it was a snake. And then the snake was trying to bite me on my face. She was just screaming and crying. And she didn't want to mow the lawn. To... She didn't want to mow the lawn. It was all a, an elaborate ruse. Yeah. It was all concocted. And she never has to mow the lawn again. No, she's she's done, huh? And by the but way, what's the husband doing while she's mowing the lawn? That's that's my point. Yeah. He could have been mowing the lawn, but he has assigned it to her. So she wanted to get out of it. Listen, I've done this. You have? Yeah. What have you done? When I was like in junior high, my dad would go, you know, go out and wash the car, go out and wash the family car. And I'd be like, it's so hot outside. And he'd, Come on, boy, go. You got to wash that car. And I went out there and I, you know, I got about 10 minutes into it. It was hot and I, I didn't want to be there. And I just ran into the house and I just said, a snake landed on me and a hawk went out of my head. And I, and he'd go, what? And I was, yeah, tears, you know, and yeah. I punched myself in the face once to, you know, sort of leave a mark. And right. uh, he couldn't, he start. he took it to the car wash every time after that. He never asked so me work. again. So you're saying it worked? Yes, you can't tell someone who's been attacked by a snake and a hawk to go back out and mow the lawn again. That's... She never has to mow the lawn. So you're saying again. Peggy Jones stole this story story from you? You're the originator of the I can't dual s- species. I can't say for certain. I can't say for certain, but pro- probably. How yeah. crazy is it in this world that this is going on? You can't even mow your lawn without... Oh, but I, I just said. couldn't understand anything she said. I said, the hawk came down and he got the snake. He tried to get the snake and he scratched all over my arms and his talons were going into my arms and my arms are tore right. up. Can I, I say this? Yeah. Let me just say this. Yeah. Yeah. Sum it <clears> up <throat> for us. You got this. I am, Bring it home. I am at such a place yeah. with this world where I hear about, you know, some guy was just waiting for the subway and some crazy homeless guy pushed him onto the tracks. Uh-huh. Or uh, this elderly man was coming home from the farmer's market and some 
crazy machete wielding homeless guy just whacked him on the head with the machete and stuff that I'm so disgusted with the people put bags of shit in Orny's trash can after. I'm so disgusted with humanity and this society that when things fall under force majeure (laughs) act of God, I'm actually relieved. You are. When I hear about a tsunami or forest fire or an earthquake, I go, thank God it wasn't Vladimir Putin in a cluster bomb or, you you know, all the unimaginable atrocities that are just going on, humans, human trafficking, and oh, these kids have been trafficked in from El Salvador and then put in safe houses. Like, I'm so disgusted with the state of humanity that when I hear about an oak tree falling on a family that's picnicking and crushing three of them, I go, quaint, good. It's It's a relief to have God-made catastrophes. And shouldn't all our energy be going into that and not the bullshit that so many of us, including yourself, are very focused on? Yes. Yeah. Agreed. What is, and we'll end on this, Adam Kroll is my guest. You've said that nine times. What is the proudest, happiest moment in your career? Uh, Winning the pro division of the Toyota Celebrity Grand Prix. (laughs) Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, just being on the podium and fucking spraying champagne. That's so cool. It was the, the, the best. I mean, people go, oh, the birth of your twins. Uh, right. But s- standing on a podium, spraying champagne with a giant-sized bottle of champagne at, at the audience, is it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Adam Kroll is my guest. You can... I, I, I You should see his stand-up show. He's great. We do shows here in Los Angeles. You've got shows coming up. I know you're supposed to go to Hawaii. I question whether that happens. But the tour schedule's up on adamcarolla.com. And now the theme, you know, Harlan Williams sings the theme to my podcast. No. But a group, we're not going to play it this week. A group called The Fold in Chicago covered it. I was going to play the whole thing. I'm just going to play a a part of it. And I'll cover it on the next podcast on What's Wrong with Orny Adams 89. Thank you, Adam Carolla. I appreciate it. This is the theme. Just another rainy day in Chicago Waiting for my funny little friend Oh, it's the whole theme, actually. He's got crazy hair